Jesus, in our text this morning, has just finished feeding 5,000 people with two loaves and five fish. Huge miracle. And he disappears from the crowd. And the crowd comes running to find him. And Jesus realizes that the crowd's not coming to find him because they're so overwhelmed by the power of this miracle. They just want to get their bellies filled again. They're not at all interested in what Jesus might mean or, or why, how he does these miraculous things. They just, they're just in it for them. They want to get another full belly. And so they chase him down. And Jesus tells them, flat out, you're not looking for me because you're impressed by the miracles. You, you just want another free meal. And so they ask him, well, well, what do we need to do to do the things that God requires? Jesus says, okay, what you need to do is to believe in the one that God sent. Jesus says, meaning himself. And so then they ask him for a miraculous sign. I don't know about y'all, but every once in a while, so you hear somebody say something so boneheaded that you just want to pop them upside the head. Say, what, what, is the, what in the world is wrong with you? Why are you asking that? Well, I don't know how Jesus avoided wanting to pop this crowd upside the head. They're asking for a miraculous sign, and he's just done one. They ate the bread, they ate the fish, they were satisfied, and now they want a sign. They're not interested in Jesus. They're not interested in Jesus' signs, or they would realize that they've already seen the sign. They just want what they want. And they want to get as much out of Jesus as they can get. Rick Warren, back a number of years ago now, uh, wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And the first line in that book is, it's not about you. It's not about you. This crowd thought that it was all about them. That it was about what Jesus could do for them, how he could fill their bellies, how he could be their cash cow. They'd never have to go to Walmart for groceries again. Because he'd just keep producing bread and fish to keep them satisfied. It wasn't about them. The point of the miracle wasn't them getting their bellies filled. The point of the miracle was look at what God can do when we give him the little bit that we have. But the crowd wanted to make it all about them. And we have a tendency to do that in the church even now, to make it all about us. What can we get out of following Jesus? There is an absolutely horrible family of preaching called the Prosperity Gospel. That basically says that we need to believe in Jesus because if we believe in Jesus, God is going to bless us with material stuff. Y'all, it doesn't work that way. 
you can't send a televangelist a couple of bucks and God's going to rain down material blessings upon you. It doesn't work that way. God is not your fairy godmother. God is God and God is holy and God wants to bless you, but those blessings sometimes can take some pretty interesting forms. If you don't believe me, go back to the Bible and ask Job. Sometimes being a follower is painful. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we hurt. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bless us. But it means that we live in a fallen world. And bad stuff happens. There are pandemics. And people die untimely deaths. We get illnesses. We get diseases. Relationships get broken and fractured. And we struggle to put them back together. We don't go to Jesus because of what Jesus can do for us. We go to Jesus because Jesus loves us and can give what we receive is not material blessing, but a peace. The Bible talks about the peace that passes all understanding. That is what God offers to us. And it doesn't, it's not material blessings. The crowd was wanting to credit Moses for the manna. Jesus said, Moses didn't give you all the manna in the wilderness when your ancestors were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Moses didn't do that. God gave the manna. God is the one who gives the bread of life. God is the one who gives that which sustains us. And the bread of life that Jesus talks about is not physical bread. But it's that which we cannot live without. You know, bread is one of the most basic foods there is. Every culture has some kind of bread. They all look different. But they're all sort of one of the first basic foods that we eat as we're growing up. You know, I can remember, and you can do a lot of things with it. I remember having cinnamon toast as a kid for breakfast. My mom makes the world's best garlic bread. With spaghetti. We'd have bread of, of all sorts of kinds. And it's one of those basic things. And we still have bread on Sunday morning, once a month. We gather together around the altar table and we feed off of one loaf. And we share the cup of juice. And we do that because that's where we can remember what God has done for us. That's where we go to get fed. Now, that little bite of bread and that little sip of juice isn't going to fill your belly up. You're going to have to wait to get the muffins next door to fill your belly up. But what it does fill is your spirit. John Wesley referred to communion as one of the means of grace. And what John Wesley meant by means of grace was that there are some places, we, we can encounter God anywhere, but there are some places where we are more likely to encounter God. And one of those places is at the communion table. God tends to show up here. And y'all, serving communion is one of my favorite things to do. 
this was one of the things that I missed more than anything else when the church shut down for a while because of the pandemic. Because we all gather together. You remember what I read in Paul? About one faith, one body, one baptism, one loaf. We are one people in Christ. And at the communion rail, for one moment, we are that one people. We don't check age. I don't say we're going to feed the older people first and the younger people later. I don't say we're going to feed white people at the table but not black people. I don't say we're going to feed the rich people first and the poor people need to wait. We don't check any of those things. We just say, come and eat. Invitation's open. Everybody's going to get the same loaf. Everybody's going to get the same bit of bread. Everybody's going to get the same bit of juice. Come and eat and be filled. Amen. It's a rare place that that happens, y'all. There are so many ways that we separate ourselves from one another. And yet around the table, those differences disappear. And it's holy ground that we walk on. It is when you come up for communion, you are on holy ground. Because the Spirit of the Lord is present in the bread and in the cup. And we get fed here in a way that we don't get fed anywhere else. There's nothing else like it. The Corinthians had trouble with communion. Because in Paul's day, they actually got a meal. The Lord's Supper was supper. It, it probably bore a, a closer resemblance to what we think of as being a potluck dinner, as opposed to what we think of as being communion now. And the problem that the Corinthians had was that the rich people who could afford to take the day off would come to the church and they'd eat everything, and they'd drink all the wine, and they'd get drunk, and they'd have their bellies filled, and the poor people who had to work would come dragging in at the end, and there was nothing to eat, nothing to drink, nothing left for them. They were out of luck. And Paul said, absolutely not. This is no way to behave. He told the Corinthians, if you're hungry, eat at home. Don't worry about getting your belly filled at church. If you're that hungry, eat your meal at home and then come to the church and have communion. He said, share with one another. Everybody counts around God's table. There are no outsiders around God's table, y'all. We all matter to God. And the communion table is one place where we see that, where we gather together to receive the bread of life and to be reminded that we are God's children. Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And he's making a pretty specific claim when he says, I am the bread of life. I am is how God introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, who should I tell the Israelites is sending me to lead them out of Egypt? And God replied, I am who I am. And I can assure you that that crowd gathered there when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, heard God's name being used. 
they heard the fact that Jesus was making a claim to be God, as well as to be the bread of life. And in fact, it's only by virtue of the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully human that he could be the bread of life, that he could be that which sustains us. So as we come together this morning to receive the bread of life, may we come with thankful hearts, grateful for the gift that God's given. May we come with open hearts, welcoming each other at the table. And may we come with hungry hearts, ready for Jesus to fill us. Amen.